We are excited to begin our journey through John in a series we are entitling Believe. Last week we learned about John the Jesus follower, how he experienced a close personal relationship being part of the inner circle of Jesus while he was in the earth. And from that personal perspective, John writes to us the gospel of John. The four gospels bring us different perspectives concerning the identity and ministry of Jesus. Most theologians agree that John was the last gospel to be written, first being Mark, followed by Matthew, then Luke. Mark's audience was primarily the Romans, and his focus was on Jesus, the suffering servant sent from God. Matthew's audience was mostly Jewish. They cherished the Old Testament scriptures, so he focuses on Jesus being the Messiah sent from God. Luke was primarily written to the Greeks and focuses on Jesus being the Son of Man. And while all of the Gospels are accurate in their accounts and descriptions and depictions of Jesus, John wrote from the perspective of having been in the closest circle of Jesus' life and knowing him better than any of the other authors of the gospel, experiencing him more up close and personal than any of the other gospel writers, John says, I've been around this Jesus, and the best way I can describe this Jesus is he is the only begotten son of the Father. Wow. From his first words in the gospel account, John wastes no time in giving to us the true identity of Jesus. Now, let me give you a disclaimer. One could take the Matthew Henry approach to this passage, go through every verse, and chase every rabbit trail. And that would take us about six to eight years to get through the book of John. And I'm going to have to um, suppress the rabbit chaser in me and try to be true to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and discuss from the context of what John is trying to write to us. But if you personally study it, you're going to find more. And I want to encourage you to do that. Let, just, let this be the springboard for your week. Get into the book of John for yourself and just keep going, okay? Now, John's gospel was written to a more general audience than any of the other three. And it has something to do with the unique way that he represents Jesus to us. The Jews focused on theology. They were big on the written word, being the old, what is now our Old Testament. And they believed that God would actually speak to them through the words of the prophets. The Greeks, on the other hand, they were big into philosophy. And they used words to describe the secrets and the meaning to life and the what-ifs and whys. They called it the Logos, and words were very important to the Greek culture. That lets you know when John writes in verse 1 of chapter 1, he says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not, uh, and without him was not anything made that was made. It's interesting of all the characterizations of Jesus that John could give us, he calls him the Word. That not only captures the two audiences to which he wrote, it has a much deeper meaning. 
John 1 and 1 begins just like Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning. Now, in the beginning, in Genesis 1, the will of God was perfectly expressed in the spoken word. For God said, let there be light. That was his will. And his will was manifest through the spoken word because the Bible says, and there was light. Now, John is taking that same approach, but this time he's saying the will of the Father is fully expressed not in the spoken word, but in the living word we know as Jesus Christ. Now, he begins to reveal in his writings, first of all, the preeminence of Christ. What's this? John's broad audience, he wants them all to understand who exactly is this Jesus, and I believe God wants us to understand that as well. He starts right off the bat by establishing the eternity of Jesus. Read with me in John 1 and 1 again. In the beginning was the Word. He was in the beginning, and he wanted all of us to know that the Jesus he witnessed for 33 and a half years on the earth preexisted his incarnation. If we go back as far as our finite understanding will allow us to the beginning of time, space, and matter when God created the world, John says if you go back that far, he was already there. Wow. He didn't begin at the beginning. He began the beginning. He was not merely an earthly being. He is the cosmic Christ with no beginning and no ending. That's why John, the same John, would record the words of Jesus to him in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, where he says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. When the cosmos was still chaos, he was there. Before the foundation of the world was laid, he existed. Jesus says, I'm the beginning and the end. Before it starts, I am. And when it's all over, guess what? I'll still be I am. Hallelujah. Alpha being the first letter of the Greek alphabet, omega being the last. The word says, I transcend this alphabet with which you are familiar. I was before the first letter. I am after the last letter. Understand this. John wants us to know that Jesus is eternal. He has always been, and he will always be, and he will never, he will never be diminished in who he is. Then John moves from the eternity of Jesus to the deity of Jesus. Let's read on. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, it's interesting that John talks about him both being with God and also being God. And it is not redundant nor by accident, but it just continues to talk to us, uh, displaying the perfection of Scripture when it comes to describing Jesus Christ. He established that Jesus is divine. He is fully God. Jesus is fully deity. He is not a demigod like Wonder Woman nor Maui. Okay? Not that there's anything wrong with Wonder Woman. I'm a huge fan. Okay? 
Maui, not so much. Don't have little kids in the house. But understand something. In Greek mythology, a demigod would only be a demigod if this God were to mate with a human and produce this demigod. Jesus was not dependent upon incarnation to exist. He would have been then another demigod of Greek mythology. Jesus existed before the seed of the Holy Spirit was planted in the womb of Mary. So he was not dependent upon him being manifest in the earth to be the eternal Son of God. He has always been the Son of God. He was the Son of God while on this earth. And guess what? He is still the Son of God at the right hand of the Father. He has all power and all authority of the divine. Now, Jesus is one part of the Godhead of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And I think it's cool that while he is telling us that Jesus is divine, John doesn't step on what would become known as the doctrine of the Trinity later in the church. Because he said the word was with God, being a separate personality, Jesus Christ, and the word was God. So he is God, but John doesn't step on the fact that there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, in Genesis 1 and 2, we see the Holy Spirit in creation. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In Moses' account of creation, we clearly see the Holy Spirit at work. But John wants us to know it's not a dynamic duo, it's a holy trinity. Okay? He says in verse, 30, or in verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. We see the perfect caption of how God works. Every good and perfect thing that comes into our life comes from God the Father through, notice he said all things were made through him, through Christ the Son by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is active in creation, and guess what? The Trinity is active in the life of the believer as well. And he establishes the eternity of Christ, he establishes the deity of Christ, and then he establishes the superiority of Christ. Now, John the Apostle, in verse 6, refers to another John that we call today John the Baptist. Now, John spends a lot of time, read through chapter 1 this week, he spends a lot of time talking about John the Baptist and John's perspective on Jesus. Understand that John was very well known in the region. He was the first prophetic voice in Israel for some 400 years. And he came to announce the coming of Messiah. So John being the first one that God had spoken through in such a way, in so long, he was very prominently followed and very well thought of. As a matter of fact, some of the disciples that were disciples of Jesus began under the ministry of John. And so John the Apostle talks about John the Baptist. And some people thought that John the Baptist must be the Messiah. John denied that claim. But look what it says in verse 15 of chapter 1 of John. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. 
Now, I'm having a little math problem here. John was approximately six months older than Jesus. He was born in the earth first. And John says, I may have been born six months before Jesus, but Jesus was before me. How can you be before someone you were born after unless you happen to be eternal? Unless you happen to previously have existed before you were incarnate, before you came in human form. And John is constantly deferring to Jesus with words like, he must increase, I must decrease. Here's what I believe that John the Apostle is trying to tell us. The most revered voice of the day, that of John the Baptist, that people would go to the wilderness to hear. John the Apostle says, I know this is a well-followed man that has many disciples, but I've come to tell you there is one greater than John the Baptist. As a matter of fact, John is, is nothing more than a mouthpiece that introduces who Jesus is to the world. And he wants us to know there's no religious teacher, there's no rabbi, there's no one of any wisdom that will ever be equal to the person of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know it's still that way today. Jesus has no equal. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, he began by sharing the preeminence of Christ, and then he moves into sharing with us the person of Christ. One of my favorite verses in John chapter 1, chapter 14. And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John says the eternal has become flesh, took on physical form. And, and John says he dwelt among us. Now, skenoo is the word in the Greek, and here's what it means. To dwell as in a tent. Most of the time, unless you're in certain parts of Nashville, a tent is not a permanent dwelling, okay? You tend to be in there a short period of time, but it's not your permanent house. And it's interesting that John views the incarnation as Jesus tenting among us taking up a temporary dwelling in a physical form, but it was not his permanent state. Now think about that for just a moment. Let's go back to the Old Testament. As they were in the wilderness, the children of Israel had a place of meeting, the tent of meeting, or a tabernacle. And within that tented area, there was a place called the Holy of Holies. And inside the tent where the Holy of Holies dwelled was the presence, the glory of God. And inside of that box were, were certain things important to the, the nation of Israel and their history with God. But the priest would go into that Holy of Holies and make sacrifice for the sins of all the people. But it's just interesting that John uses a similar phraseology to say that this time the glory once again was revealed in a tent. The tent of the earthly body of Jesus Christ. 
And just like the glory was manifest in the tent, the tabernacle in the Old Testament, this new tent was Jesus, and Jesus revealed the glory of the Father, the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father. The Bible says we beheld his glory. Jesus said on one occasion, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. God is not in a box made of gold and wood. God is in the temple, in the tabernacle of Jesus Christ. He said, I and my Father are one. Hebrews 1 tells us Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. If you want to know God, know Jesus. That's why John said, no one's ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side. He has made him known. That's why I can say with confidence that knowing Jesus Christ is the only way to know Father God. You know why? Muhammad never revealed his image. Confucius never revealed his image. The multi-thousands of gods in Hinduism do not reveal the image of the invisible God. There is no one in history, no religious leader, nor teacher that we could say, if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. That's why Jesus could say with confidence, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Understand, knowing Jesus is the only way to know God. I know that's politically incorrect, but you must understand the Bible cares nothing of politics. The Bible cares nothing of cultural preference. The Bible deals with divine truth. And Jesus is the only one that has revealed the Father to us. That is why I say he is the only way to get to God. He's the only way we can know and experience God. Now, John tells them in him was a fullness. John says he's full of two things. How many of you know people full of something? Don't say it out loud. They might be sitting next to you. But John said there was a fullness in this man. Watch this. He had just said we saw the glory of God in Jesus. And God says here's two things he was full of, grace and truth. The word grace, charis in the Greek, gives us the idea that God is fully extending himself to us. Think about it. Picture us down on the ground. God in heaven, and God reaches all the way down to where we are. Religion is man reaching up to God. Jesus is God reaching down to man. John says he's full of grace, the unmerited favor, the goodness of God based on the love of God. Jesus was full of grace. But grace alone, that God is good and it matters not how we live, leads us to a shallow, sentimental fellowship with God. We need this dynamic duo of grace and truth. The word truth, alatia, means truth that impacts the moral sphere. Okay? So God, through Jesus Christ, comes down, and Jesus is full of grace, God reaching down to us, and truth, which lifts us up out of our depraved condition of sin 
and causes us to begin to live out practically the righteousness of God we have received. The Old Testament only dealt with truth. And you know what? People who only care about truth live a rigid, legal, frustrating life. There are people who only want grace and care nothing for the truth. And there are people who only want truth and have no grace for anyone else who doesn't want what they want. Do you know those people? Yeah, they're religious people. But understand something. Jesus came to give us the full picture of God. God loving us so much, he reaches further down than we could ever fall. But him bringing to us a revelation of truth that in the pit of our sin, that was not our identity and that's not who we were created to be. He came to lift us out of the miry clay and set our feet on a solid rock. Jesus came full of grace and truth and that's what he brings to everyone who believes in him. He brings us the goodness of God that picks us up out of the dirt, but he brings to us a truth that lifts our living and allows us to have life the way God intended. Wow. We move from, the, from this to the purpose of Christ. Besides referring to Jesus as the Word, the expression of the will of God, John chapter 1 provides us with insight to the purpose of Jesus' creation, or Jesus' incarnation. Why would he leave his majesty on high to come and dwell among us. I believe John captures it in verses 4 and 5. He came to be the light. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word life in the Greek is zoe, the self-existent life of God. And that zoe illuminates and reveals to us real life through Jesus Christ. In a world covered with darkness, Jesus came to light the path to God. <laughs> but listen, in order for us to fellowship the God to which he points us, there is a barrier, a hindrance that had to be removed. So Jesus not only came to be the light, John says he came to be the lamb. Watch this. John the, John the Baptist was baptizing people unto repentance, and Jesus walks up to where he is, and he says, John looks at him and says, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Listen to me. He came not only to light the path to relationship with the Father, but to lift from us the one thing that would hinder us from fellowshipping God with love and with intimacy. So now, because Jesus came, and he's the light that pointed to heaven, and because he came as the Lamb of God to shed his blood and wash away the one thing that could ever keep us from enjoying God as our Father, he's the light and the Lamb. And his work is so complete that whoever calls on his name can be saved. It's powerful. There's a lot of theology in John chapter 1, and we're just scratching the surface. He moves from these three things to his real intent, and that is the proposition of Christ. I love how John gets right to the point in chapter 1. He tells us, all right, this Christ, he's preeminent. The person of Christ, he came as a person tended among us, but yet he's eternal. 
He came full of grace and truth. But then he says, there are two responses to Christ a person can express. And they're both found in John chapter 1. First of all, you can reject him. Look at verse 11 of chapter 1. The Bible says he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. That's rejection. Jesus said himself he was sent first to the lost house to, 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 to save the sheep of the lost house or the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He came to be Israel's Messiah, and guess what? Whether they have accepted that or not, he is still Israel's Messiah. I say to my Jewish friends, the Messiah upon which you wait has already come. God has already sent him to you. His name is Jesus. But because Jesus did not fit their personal preference of what the Messiah should be, they rejected him, although he perfectly fulfilled the prophecies concerning him in the Jewish Scripture. Perfectly fulfilled them. You can reject Christ if you want to. That is your choice. Each of us have the same opportunity just hearing this gospel message today. We can choose to reject Jesus if we want to. But I'll suggest to you there's a better response. You don't need to reject him. You can receive him. Are you hearing me? Watch this, John 1 and 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. How do we receive Jesus? John spells it out, by believing. Believing on his name. What was his name? Yahshua. What does that mean? Yahweh saves. Yahweh delivers. Believe that Jesus is your Savior. And something powerful happens. You are at that moment. You may not have joined GC Church yet, and you may not have been through starting point and signed your membership card. We'd love for you to do that because we want to know who you are and get to know you more. But guess what? The moment you believe on Jesus as your Savior, your adoption papers are officially signed, and you are part of the family of God. God is your Father. The only downside for some of you, that makes me your brother. <laughs> Talk to my two earthly sisters if you don't believe there's a downside to that. But you know what? All of us imperfect people who all need Jesus, we become family. Not in position to judge one another, but the call to love one another. The world's getting worse every day, folks. The culture of America is crashing. We need a family. We need a family that we can do this with. And when you believe that he is your Savior, you receive the right to become part of the family of God. See, because of my sin, I have no legal right to be part of a holy family. But because Jesus is completely holy, because he went to the cross and nailed my imperfect record of sin there, and God assigned to me the record of his perfection, I now have a right to call him Father. 
Now listen, I know a lot of you look at my father as a spiritual dad, and, and I'm grateful for that. We need spirit, more spiritual fathers and mothers. My wife and I were privileged this week to visit with Miss Dottie. And I said, are you getting around okay? She said, yes, I am. She got up on her walker, walked all across to where I was sitting and kissed me on the head. I'm like, well, okay. Maybe it's what I'm, I'm probably liable to start growing hair now after that kiss. I'm just telling you, it's powerful. We need more spiritual fathers and mothers, but now, I just want to know, I want you to know, I got to call him father long before you did. Because I was born into his family. And it's my honor to share him with you as a father, but you owe me back pay for a lot of Christmas gifts is all I'm saying. All the kids got to go in together. <laughs> Guys, we're finally going to get payback after all this time. And you know what? You know what the Bible's saying? Just like I have the right to call him father because I was born in his household to his lineage, so do you. So do you. There's nobody that's been here so long that has more right to be God's child than you. There's nobody that's served him so well and been so perfect that they're in better with him than you are. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you start having the rights of the son and the daughters of the household of God. Isn't that powerful? It's like Jesus gave you his ID to get in. <laughs> I'm not talking about fake ID. Some of you had those. I know you did. But Jesus says, listen, you don't have any identity in the family. You weren't born into the family. But here, take my ID. And when you get to the door of the household of God, show them my ID and they'll let you in. Tell them you're with me and you'll be in the family. Because I'm in with the Father. And because I'm in with the Father, you'll get in with the Father. It's powerful to see that. My question is, have you believed? Do you believe? This whole sermon series we're going through so that we will either receive faith in Jesus Christ or be increased in our faith in Jesus Christ and who he is. But have you believed? Do you feel like an outsider in church? Do you feel like I'm here but I'm not a part? Listen, that's exactly the devil, that's exactly the way the devil wants you to feel. If you are in Christ and Christ is in you, if you have set, if you have believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confessed from your mouth that Jesus is Lord, guess what? You belong here. You are in the family and you've got a right to the household of God. Stand with me all around the room. I'm going to ask Pastor Blake to come and give you a simple invitation to believe on his name that he's your savior and can I be the first to say this in advance because I believe it's going to happen welcome to the family you are loved in this house I want to invite the prayers to come down forward at this time with every head bowed with every eye closed if you're here and you heard the word from Pastor Barry and you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you need to make a decision to believe you just need a personal relationship with Jesus. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, no one's looking around. I just want you to slip up your hand while no one's looking around. This is between you and God. Thank you for those hands. 
if you're here and maybe you've been what the Bible would call a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter and you've spent some time away from him. But the word today encouraged you, you know what, I need to rededicate my life to him. I want to start living for him again, committing myself to him. Would you slip up your hand? Thank you for those hands. Praise God. Thank you for those hands. These prayers down here, they're ready to lead you in, in a sinner's prayer or a prayer of rededication. Or if you need prayer of any other kind, if you need some, some time, someone to pray with about some, a specific need that you have, I just want to invite everyone to come down front. If you feel like you need some prayer or if you need to rededicate or commit your life to the Lord, just come down front here with one of these prayers while we sing. We believe in you, Jesus, come now. 